All right, Treya. All earthly things with earth will fade away, but prayer grasps eternity. But I'm convinced of this, God does not hear prayer. He hears desperate prayer. Prayer is not a position, whether you need. Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. You get to the place where you'd rather sweat, you'd rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence. You'd rather God whisper a speaker into your heart that breaks you. And somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Corey Jeffcoat, and I am the youth pastor here at First Baptist. Um, Danny asked me a couple weeks ago if I would fill in for him because he had been going to kids camp all week. Um, and if you've ever been to kids camp, you know how exhausting that can be. But it is also just kind of bragging on Danny a little bit as well. Um, it is awesome that the pastor of the church actually goes and invests with the kids as well. So um, it's just an awesome sight to see because he loves the children so well. Um, but as we get started, um, we've been in a sermon series the past couple of weeks on prayer, and it's called Grasping the Heart of God. And over the past weeks, we've looked at what prayer is. We've looked at why prayer is so important. We've looked at even how to pray. Last week, um, whenever Danny was preaching, he preached on the impact prayer has on us and the world. This morning, obviously, we're going to continue on with prayer. We're going to continue looking at what or how we should be praying for certain things in our lives. Um, so many times when we're praying, prayer is by far the easiest thing we can do. But yet, so many times the most difficult thing we can do. Um, praying is so much like driving a car from point A to point B. It really isn't that hard. And if you've been driving for multiple years, it's second nature. You get in the car, you go from here to there. And so many times praying is that way as well. But just like driving the car, the most difficult scenario is the path to get there. I know Evan is going on vacation next week, which is always kind of fun because you have it mapped out. You put in the GPS, you go from A to B. But whenever there's traffic anywhere, it starts trying to reroute you. And it is the most difficult thing is getting to the destination, especially when you have kids. Um, but another fun story that I saw earlier this week is actually, um, it's a true story, and it says this. The young migrant worker from China was aiming for his home over 1,700 kilometers away. At, but he was stopped by traffic police 500 kilometers off his course. When they found out the police played for a train ticket to get him home, the man had set off for his home in December. And a report from People's Online Daily said the man had been living in internet cafes and was low on funds. But he was determined to make it home, so he chose to cycle the route. The unnamed man could not read maps, meaning he had to rely on others for directions. Police stopped him when he was riding on a highway, which cannot be used by cyclists. After discovering his mistake, both police and people working at the toll station he was stopped at contributed to his ticket home. This story is crazy. Like, imagine going somewhere and then being 500 miles off. I know they use kilometers, but 500 miles off in the complete opposite direction. Like, that's crazy. It doesn't matter how determined you are or how dedicated you are to do it. If you're going in the wrong direction, it doesn't matter because you're still further away than where you were to begin with. And so many times in our own lives, 
Like we feel like, hey, we're dedicated, we're determined, we can do this. But then you look up and you're nowhere close to the goal you're aiming for to begin with. Many times we may be praying just by going through the motions. Many times we may be praying even without direction. Or if we have direction, we may be praying in the wrong direction, like that poor cyclist. And so the question I have today is, are you praying in the right direction? And when I ask that question, I'm not saying, are you praying northeast, south, or west? Like you don't have to physically be facing a certain direction. But what I am saying is, when you're praying, is your heart directed towards God? Are you praying to the God that you have faith in? Are you praying in another direction? This morning we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 18, and we'll be looking at a prayer battle in which the direction that the people were praying mattered. Not the direction physically, but the direction spiritually. So you can go ahead and turn to 1 Kings 18. But while you're turning there, to give a little backstory behind what we're going to be reading, there was a king by the name of King Ahab, and again, he was not a captain of a ship or a pirate ship. He was actually a king. Just every time I hear Ahab, I think of like a pirate named Ahab. But his name was King Ahab. He was the king of Israel, and he was labeled as a terrible king. In 1 Kings 16.33, it says this, And Ahab made Asherah, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than any of the kings of Israel who were before him. So 1 Kings does not speak highly of King Ahab. So after this, um, God called a prophet named Elijah and said, hey, go tell King Ahab that it's not going to rain or do until you say so. So Elijah went up to King Ahab and said, hey, it's not going to rain or do for however long until I say it's going to. Like a lot of power for Elijah, right? And so after Elijah said that, it did not rain or do, and the time was three years after he initially said it. So like we've been through droughts before. None of us have been through a drought for three years. Like it doesn't rain here for three weeks and everything starts to die. Three years, everything's dirt at this point. So over Israel, it hadn't rained. So as we get into the story, God calls Elijah saying, hey, Elijah, go back to King Ahab now and tell him that, you're gonna, that I'm going to send rain. But also a backstory behind this is King Ahab had been sending people to search for Elijah for these three years, search for him to kill him. So now God says, hey, Elijah, go, go back. Go back to King Ahab and tell, tell him what's happening. So Elijah goes up to King Ahab, and this is where the story begins in 1 Kings 18. We're going to start reading in verse 20. And it says this, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered their prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, and left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first. 
For you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. The rules of the battle of that God, the rules of the battle of the gods are set. Elijah gives them the options. He says, hey, the ball's in your court. You can do whatever you want. Do you want to do it or not? And the only stipulation is you've got to pray to your God and your God has to send fire. So like kind of a crazy prayer battle, right? Like just pray and whoever catches this altar on fire wins. So the first point that we're going to look at tonight or this morning is the plan in place. Elijah set the rules for the battle and he had his plan in place. And when you look at these rules, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But whenever you look at what the whole purpose of it being in Mount Carmel means, there was a lot more, I guess, home field advantage geared towards the prophet of Baal than it was for Elijah. When you're looking at this, first of all, they said, hey, we're going to face off at Mount Carmel. The big significance about Mount Carmel is there used to be an altar for God there, like the God that Israel worshipped. King Ahab destroyed that altar and put an altar towards Baal. So, first of all, that's also where the prophets of Baal already worshipped to begin with. But then you also look at it, the prophets of Baal were 450, praying to their God, where Elijah was by himself. So the numbers far outweighed the prophet of Baal. Then they're also to pray to their separate gods. So the prophet of Baal is supposed to pray to Baal. Elijah is supposed to pray to God. The prophet, or Baal, is considered the sun god. The sun god obviously can control fire, right? I mean, the sun is fire. So whenever you look at the prophet of Baal sending fire, that shouldn't be a problem. He controls the sun, all this stuff. Another side note about Baal is he's also the god of the weather. So if you're trying to send fire, how do you send fire with weather? Lightning. So he's a sun god, but he also controls the lightning. And what is also the very last thing that we see where the prophets of Baal gets home field advantage is they get to pick the cow first. They get to pick whichever bull they want first. So they get to find the most healthy-looking bull that they can slaughter and offer. So all of this, Elijah is at a disadvantage. So the prophets of Baal are like, absolutely, let's do this. We got this. We, we can do this. We, we, the odds are in our favor. We have home field advantage. It's awesome. So as we look at this, Elijah gives them one command. And it's in verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. His challenge was simple. Pick the God you serve. Pick the God that you trust. And what is interesting is whenever that command is issued, how did the crowd respond? Exactly. Silence. Just like all of you. They were silent. And whenever you look at that, you're like, why the heck were they silent? Why did they not say a word? Did they, were they confused about Elijah's question? No. They knew who Elijah worshipped. They knew the God that Elijah served. They were silent because silence is the easiest way to be noncommittal. Silence is the easiest way to say, hey, I, I, I don't know, so I'm not choosing. So whenever Elijah, after that command, they didn't want to commit to one side or the other. They wanted to say, hey, I'm not sure. So I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket and be on that team. I don't want to be on the losing team. So I'm just not going to answer at all. And whenever it was, it was easier to stay uncommitted 
than choose a side. Um, doesn't that kind of sound like our world today, though? Our world will rather stay back and not voice an opinion and just kind of stay uncommitted to so many different things instead of voicing what they feel is right. They'll just kind of stand back and just kind of let the chips fall where they may and just kind of say, hey, I'm not going to stand up for one side or the other. I'd rather be uncommitted than stand up for what I believe. And to even kind of make it hit closer to home, there's a guy by the name of Tony Morita. He says this, Others in our culture want to worship on Sunday, but when it comes to business, politics, or international conflict, they're tempted to defer to conventional wisdom and what's in keeping with the times. Some believe economics and God or politics and God should remain separate. Elijah challenged his generation who believed the same things. They acknowledged Yahweh, but believe following Baal was a more practical way for farmers and merchants to live. However, if God is God, then we must submit to him and surrender every area of our lives to his lordship. In our lives, God can't be separate from any part of our lives. When praying, we can't look to ourselves and say, God, like, I need you, but God, I can handle it on my own. Hey, God, I, I can... I can, I need, I'm praying to you because like, I know that I'm supposed to. I know I'm supposed to go through these motions. But God, I really don't have faith in you. I have faith in me. And so many times whenever we're going through our lives, that's us. That's me. I'll be like, God, hey, I need you. I need your help. I need your guidance on this. But God, take, take the back seat. God, I got it. I got it first. Or either like I'll be going through life and struggling with something. Be like, God, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm, I'm, I kind of need your help but not really. I can handle it on my own. And so we get to a point where we allow our pride to get in the way of God's work. And that brings up the next point. It's called prayer and pride. As the battle begins, as the prayer battle starts, um, we'll see the prophets of Baal pray first. They get the first go. So again, they have full field advantage, but they also get to sacrifice first. In 1 Kings 18, 26 through 29, it says this, and they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried it aloud and cut themselves from the, after their customs with swords and lances until blood gushed out of them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. The prophets of Baal cried out from morning until lunch. And their God never answered. They were praying and praying and praying, but they were praying in the wrong direction. They were praying to a God that doesn't listen. Also, side note, they prayed from morning until lunch, like five to six hours possibly. So a long worship service doesn't necessarily mean a God-centered worship service. A long prayer doesn't necessarily mean a God-centered prayer. The right words doesn't mean a God-centered prayer. It's the direction in which the prayer and the worship service is geared, which is so vital for us. But from this, we also see that 
as we're praying, it's so easy to get mixed up about which direction to pray because we get so distracted, we get to say, God, we don't want to bother you with this. Hey, God, we can handle this. But then as, um, as we keep looking at that, pride so often hinders our prayers. Pride hinders our prayers to the point of saying, God, I got this. Or either pride hinders our prayer of saying, hey, God, I don't need to bother you with this. But in reality, God is a much larger God than we could ever imagine. And in um, 1 Kings 18, 27, this is where Elijah responds. And it's my favorite response. Um, Elijah says, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. They're saying, hey, hey, Bill, Bill, maybe he's using the bathroom. Maybe, maybe you just need to knock a little louder. Maybe you just need to wake him up. Like, I don't know. Maybe you just need to go try to find him, cheer a little louder, pray a little longer, scream a little louder, like do something. You've got to wake up this bell. But what's also interesting about this is false gods are bad gods to pray to because false gods aren't able to change the outcome. False gods aren't just statues like of golden calves like Baal was. False gods are anything that you put your faith in over God. And in our own life, like you might like, I don't have any false gods. But if you actually start looking at what you put your faith in over God, there's probably a good number of them. False gods can be money, they can be family, they can be cars, they can be jobs, it can be politics, it can be sports. False gods are anything that you put your faith and trust in over God, which is a scary place to be. But so often we find security in those false gods that we seek them over anything else. We're like, God, hey, hey I need help with bills this week. But God, I got this. I got this. I, I can work harder. I can get it. Hey, God, I need help with this. Oh, but, but, but God, just, just take a back seat. I can do it myself. Instead of putting our true, our full trust in him. Don't let anything get in front of your faith you have with God. This is also a great reminder that the God that we pray to is always present. The God that the prophets of Baal were praying to didn't answer. And Elijah said, maybe he's gone. Maybe he's asleep. The God that we pray to can hear everybody at once. And he's waiting to hear from us. Finally, we see the prophets of Baal trying their hardest to get an answer. They begin cutting themselves around the altar. They are trying to find some sympathy with Baal. However, Baal continues to remain defeated. I would say that most of us today probably aren't cutting yourself um, to try to get sympathy from God. If you are, don't. It doesn't work. But so many times we do other things to try to get merit with God. Sometimes we try to do religious activities to find merit with God. That may be giving a little more offering. That may be serving a little more. That may be reading our Bible a little more. That may be even going to church a little more. But doing things that we call good things with the wrong motive aren't bringing you any closer to God. Good things with the wrong motive are us going in the wrong direction with prayer. So many times our heart can be set, hey God, I'm going to do this, I'm going to have the right motivation, I'm going to do this, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to do this, this, and this. But without ever putting our faith in God first, no matter what energy we expend, it's just wasted calories. Um, Tony Morita also says this, he says, praise God that we don't have to cut ourselves or deny ourselves things in order to get God's attention. The blood has already been spilled, Jesus' blood. 
His blood and his activity alone allows us to come into God's presence. By his work, not our work, we're able to commune with God and be free from condemnation. So often we come like the prophets of Baal. Though we are not truly worshiping Baal, we allow for ourselves to get in the way, or we begin to pray to ourselves rather than pray to God. So we'll often throw up half-hearted prayers to God because our faith is rather, hey, I can muster up enough. I can work hard enough. I can do it better enough for us to reach that merit with God. And then whenever we get to that point, we're like, God, I, 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 this, I don't know what's happening anymore. Because whenever we've been praying, we've been praying just half-heartedly. We haven't said, God, you're God and I'm not. God, I need you. I need you to lead, not me. God, I need you over everything else. And so many times whenever we're praying and trusting ourselves, what we're really doing is praying like this. It'd be like me praying, hey, Corey, please help me with blank. Corey, I really need help. God, Corey, just please help me. Help me. Help me. Help me. Corey, you can do this on your own. Corey, in your name, amen. And what we're doing is we're saying something completely insane. But nobody prays like that. But whenever our motivation is in the wrong place, that's what our prayers are like. Because we don't truly believe that God will listen, so we do it ourselves. Just like the prophet of Baal, they were trying to reach that merit. So many times we feel like we're just throwing up empty words because our motivation isn't correct. The point of our prayer is not God. Which brings up the last point, which is the point to prayer. In 1 Kings 18, verse 30, it says this, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar for the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. He put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, Fill four jars of water and pour it on the burnt offering on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stone and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah's point to his prayer was a true God. It wasn't the prophet of Baal who was praying to a pointless God. Elijah's point to prayer was the God that controlled it all. Elijah took time to properly prepare the altar as well. The first thing he did was he gathered 12 stones, which was symbolic because the reason they were in the drought is because Israel turned their back on God. So then Elijah got 12 stones, which is symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel, and brought it back and said, Israel is now going to be focusing back on you, God. Israel is going to be centered around the true God. But then next, he, after he got that, after he cut the bull, he went and he got 12 jars of water. These weren't just little bitty jars. These were massive jars, enough to cover all the wood, plus fill the trench around. 
And if you've ever seen like the ground get dry, it takes a lot of water so the water will stay in a trench, especially after it's been so dry. The ground would just soak it up. So there was so much water, there was a trench filled with water over it. And which is kind of crazy because like the prophets of Baal are now saying, hey, we prayed to our God for hours and hours and hours, and he couldn't even light dry wood. Now you put all this water on there, all this valuable water, and you're expecting your God to light that? And Elijah's like, absolutely. Absolutely I am. And whenever we see this, what is also important about the water is in a drought, what is the most important thing? Water. Water is the most important thing in a drought. It's the most valuable thing, especially after three years. So Elijah went and found the most valuable thing he could muster and offered it to God. He went and found not just one jar of water. No, he found 12 massive jars of water and said, God, you're worthy. You're worthy of the best. You're worthy of my best. God, I'm offering this to you. And so many times whenever we pray, are we giving our best to God? Are we saying, God, this time is yours. God, this time revolves around you. God, this is my best. God, I'm worshiping you with this time. God is worthy of our prayers and not just half-hearted prayers. We are communicating with the God of the universe, the God that holds everything together. Pray to God like you mean it. After the preparation, Elijah finally prays. Like it took time for him to get prepared, but whenever he got prepared, his prayer was awesome because his prayer was drastically different than the prophets of Baal's. In verse 36, it says this, Elijah and the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this, this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Elijah's prayer was at most 30 seconds, as opposed to the five, six-hour prayer the prophets of Baal did. Prayer doesn't have to be long if you're pointed at the right direction. Prayer doesn't have to be elegant if your prayer is directed towards the right direction. Prayer is vital when we're praying to God. Uh, and whenever we look at this, let's quickly break down Elijah's prayer. The first thing we see with his prayer is Elijah had a relationship with God. Elijah focused on who God was. He said, you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. God, this is you. And he says, let it be known that I am your servant. So there was already a relationship there. When we pray to God, we do so because we have a relationship with him. It is vital for prayer to be effective there has to be a relationship. You can't communicate with somebody if you don't have a relationship with them. For prayer to be centered around God, we have to be saved. We have to have that relationship. The second one is Elijah sought the glory of God. Whenever Elijah was praying, he would say, hey, God, light this fire. And it could be awesome because like, if I could pray and send fire somewhere, like, it would be kind of awesome. But whenever Elijah was praying, he's saying, hey, God, send fire. Not for my glory, but for your glory. God, send fire so that people will know that you are God. And like, if I could speak and fire come down, like, that would be a fun party trick. Like, that would be awesome. But whenever you see Elijah doing that, Elijah's not seeking his own glory. He's seeking the glory of others. He's seeking the glory of God. 
which is an awesome concept we have to do when we're praying to God, is so often our prayers are focused around us, when our prayers should be focused on God and God receiving the glory. And the um, third thing that Elijah prayed for is Elijah prayed for his enemies. Elijah prayed for those other Baal prophets around the altar. Elijah prayed for the other Israelites around the altar. Elijah prayed for those people that if God didn't send fire, they would instantly kill him. They would instantly say that he is a false prophet. Elijah prayed for them, and he prayed that God would turn their hearts back to him. So whenever we're going through prayer, those are the things we have to be praying for. We've got to be praying with a relationship with God, because we have to have that first. We have to be seeking the glory of God, but we also have to be praying for others. C.S. Lewis says this about prayer. He says, I have two lists of names in my prayers for those whose conversions I have prayed and those whose conversions I give thanks. The little trickle of transference from list A to B is a great comfort. So C.S. Lewis just has two lists of prayers, people that if he's praying for salvation and those people that have been saved, he prays that and gives thanks that they've been saved, which is just an awesome reminder. So Often we go through our own normal routine of prayers, praying to God. We'll throw up words at meals, at bedtime, and so many times we just do it half-heartedly. We're like, hey God, it's me again. Hey God, I need this, this, and this. Amen. Rather than us saying, hey God, I need my life to seek your glory. Hey God, I need to be, I'm praying for these, this person and this person. God, can you please save them? God, can you please send this to whatever. Like, God, I need you instead of, God, you need me. And we always have that different shift in mind. But then whenever we also keep reading in 1 Kings um, 41 through 45, it says this, and Elijah said to, this is after the fire came down, and Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of, the, of Mount Carmel. He bowed himself down on the earth and put his face in his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up and say, Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while heaven grew black and clouds and the wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. We see two different prayers from Elijah. The first prayer was a prayer of boldness, a prayer saying, God, I know you can do this. God, send fire so that others will seek your face. The second prayer was Elijah went by himself. He said, God, I know you've promised rain. You told me to go to Ahab and tell him that rain is coming. So there's a promise there. So God, send the rain. God, send the rain so that Ahab knows that you're the true God. So this drought will be empty. So this drought will be done. And when we see this, Elijah prays. He says, hey, servant, go, go see if there's rain. He says, I hear it in the distance. Go see. The servant went, nothing. So Elijah's still praying. Sends him again, nothing. Sends him again, nothing. Sends him again, nothing. On the seventh time, Elijah sends him. He says, hey, Elijah, there, and there's a little bitty cloud about the size of a man's hands, a little bitty cloud. So Elijah said, perfect. That's what I've been praying for. But Elijah knew the promise. 
but the promise wasn't fulfilled, so Elijah kept praying. Whenever we see what God has promised so many times, we quit praying because we said, hey, God promised it, it'll be done. So our faith stops. But Elijah was persistently seeking God before the promise ever got there. So when the promise finally arrived, Elijah can say, God, I've been seeking your face doing this. I'm glad you're finally bringing the rain. I'm glad you are finally letting the drought end. So whenever we see this, we see Elijah persistently praying for rain because of the promise that God had given him. We should also be praying constantly. We should also be praying for our family members. And we should be praying, God, save so-and-so. God, help so-and-so. God, reveal yourself to so-and-so. God, let your glory be shown. God, allow for your glory to be shown through whatever avenue you want. God, allow your glory to be shown through me. Allow your glory to be shown through whatever. But God, don't let me get the glory. Let you. But so many times it takes that persistent prayer to do so. So many times we, have, we look at God and we're like, God, I know you've promised this. I know you've promised that. And as soon as we get the promise, we stop praying. And so many times that's a detriment to ourselves because we're expecting God to continually use us without us depending on him. So this morning, there's a whole bunch of things you can pray for. But first of all, the first thing you can pray is like there may be some of you that haven't seeked God wholeheartedly in a long time. You haven't prayed to God in a long time saying, God, it's you, it's not me. God, I need you. I don't need me to be my God. But God, I need you to be the God of my life. So this morning, the altar's open. If you need to pray to God honestly for the first time in a long time, do it. There's another group that's in here that may have never prayed to God the first time. They've never had that relationship with God. If that's you, please meet us in the back lobby. We would love to show you what it means to be a follower of Christ. We would love to show you what it means to pray to God for the first time ever. And there's also some of you that have given up praying for your friends and family members. God says be persistent in your prayers. God says continually seek after him. Don't give up. Elijah saw and heard the rain, but Elijah didn't stop praying. Elijah heard the promise. Elijah knew that if he prayed to God, he would send rain. Elijah didn't stop praying after one time. Elijah kept praying, kept sending a servant, kept thinking, kept seeking God's face. So who is it today that you need to keep praying for? Who is it today that you've lost hope? Because when we pray, God listens. When we pray, God is faithful. He's not the God of Baal. He's the God that created Baal. He's the God that created me, created you, created this world. He's over all of that. And whenever we pray to him, he listens. So I'm going to pray and you do however, or you do business with God however you need to. Lord, just thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you again.